Jeff. I'm now going to invite uh, Christine to come forward for our scripture reading, uh, which will be followed by the sermon given by Jack. Reading from Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So far our reading. I presume that's for me. I didn't see anyone else drink from it, so that's good. <laughs> Thanks, Christine. I won't say I know Christine well, but I do have her mum and dad, her sister, no less than five brothers, and a whole host of uh, nephews and nieces in my congregation in Launceston. So I feel like I know her quite well, as you can imagine. <clears throat> Friends, when I think about my congregation, the thing that I want for it, more than anything else, is that it would be a healthy church. I'm not so concerned about how big it is, or how exciting, how comfortable or contemporary, how popular or professional, but my heartfelt desire is that above all, Riverbank would be a church that is marked by good and vibrant health. And I'm quite sure that that is your desire as well. There are all sorts of things that we may want for our own congregation. But surely for each and every one of us, 
The thing that you long for most of all is that the Christian Reformed Church of Olverston would be a church that is truly and genuinely healthy. And all the more so at this critical point as you begin this new chapter in your story with the arrival of the Brooks Lloyd family to join your team. But I put it to you that this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'd encourage you to keep that passage open in front of you. For what we find in these verses is one vital element of the overall teaching of what it means to be a godly, balanced, unified, growing, and above all, a healthy church. Now, to understand this properly, we need to put the passage in context. I'm sure that many of you know that the first three chapters of Ephesians are dedicated to describing the absolute glory of our salvation, a salvation given to us by God's amazing grace through trust in his beloved Son. Right at the beginning, Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. A bit later he says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I hope and I pray that you have personally experienced this grace in your life. I hope and pray that you personally have put your trust in Jesus who lived a perfect righteous life and suffered a painful atoning death so that all who put their hope in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And if you're here today and you haven't yet turned to Jesus in repentance and faith then I just want to urge you to read these first three chapters of Ephesians. I want to urge you to ask God to open your heart to its fantastic truth. And I want to urge you to talk to a trusted Christian friend who can help you to understand what it really means to be saved by Jesus' blood. Please, please don't ignore this. It's the very thing you're looking for and it will turn your life around. But friends, in Ephesians 4 verse 1, we reach a major transition. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Having magnificently described the wonder of salvation, Paul now goes on to compellingly describe how those who are saved should respond And so the rest of this letter is devoted to showing us how God's grace and Holy Spirit transform us. How our faith in Jesus changes our lives in very real ways. But when you read this first verse, you could actually be fooled into thinking that it's just talking about living lives worthy of your calling all on your own. But Paul soon reveals that that's not the case. For it's actually about living lives worthy of our calling together 
as God's people in his church. Already in verses 2 and 3, he speaks of the attitudes we should have toward one another. Verses 4 to 6 speak of all the things we as believers share in common. Verses 7 to 10 tell us of the gifts that Jesus gives so that we are able to serve each other. Verses 14 to 16 describe the impact that these things have on our fellowship. And so the passage closes with these words. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul makes it very clear that he is talking here about the body of Christ. He's talking about how together we should live lives worthy of our calling. And he's talking about how this will make us a healthy church. But key to all of that is the three verses that I haven't yet mentioned. The verses that I want to focus on in today. Verses 11 to 13. For there we're told that fundamental to a healthy church is a healthy model of ministry. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Here the Lord reveals that he's done something very important to help us as we strive together to live worthy lives. He's given us leaders. In the first place, he gave the church apostles and prophets. Now, Paul uses these terms to describe a particular group of people who God appointed to establish his New Testament church. The apostles were those 12 men who Jesus handpicked to follow him and continue his mission. Of course, Judas was a betrayer, but was very particularly replaced by Matthias in Acts chapter 1. A few others were also added, such as James and Paul himself. But the point is, they were called to a unique role as they witnessed to the resurrection, formulated the gospel, and founded the church. Then there's also the prophets. Again, Jesus gave particular people for this key task of proclaiming God's message before it was recorded in writing to help the church come into being. Many of the apostles were also described as prophets, along with certain others, like Agabus in Acts 11 and 21. But we must understand both these roles were given only for a time. In Ephesians chapter 2, earlier in this same letter, Paul says, The church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And chapter 3 says, The mystery of Christ has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. These leaders were given to our church for a specific task, for a specific period, and we don't have them anymore. However, Paul also says that Christ gave the evangelists. These were people called to go out from that newly established church, taking the good news of Jesus into regions where it had never been before. And there's no reason to think that this role has finished. 
And so, my friends, today we have missionaries taking the gospel to parts of the world where it's never been heard. We have church planters taking the gospel to parts of our own community where it's never been heard. Where, where it's never been heard. And my friends, increasingly churches are appointing people to specifically lead in the work of outreach. At Riverbank, we call that person our evangelism influence worker. It's not something we see a lot, is it? Missionaries are still few. Church planters are few. Local evangelism leaders are few. And my friends, maybe that's exactly the reason why we are so hesitant about outreach and why we see, see so little conversion growth. And so I want to ask you this morning, has the time come for us to recognise that our Lord Jesus Christ promises to give us evangelists and to think more seriously about setting people aside to specifically lead the church in our mission to the lost? But that brings us to the final type of leader mentioned in our passage. And that is the pastors and teachers. The way that it's written tells us this is not two roles but one. Two parts of a single person's role. And these are the people who are called to lead the local church. The apostles and prophets establish the church. The evangelists multiply the church. The pastors and teachers do the ongoing work of caring for the church. They're called pastors which literally means shepherds called to guide, protect and feed the flock of God's people. They're called teachers, called to preach and promote God's word in all of its fullness so his people grow in faith and obedience. Elsewhere, the Bible calls them overseers or elders. And when it is done full-time, it's the role that we refer to as the office of minister. So, of course, this is the task that Matthew has been called to take up here in this church today. And so, Matthew, it would be wise for us to think what God would want you to learn from these verses. Well, I'd like to mention four things. First of all, this passage reveals that, that you, Matthew, have been given to this congregation by Jesus. He's the one who's ultimately called you to serve as minister here. That means, on the one hand, that you are responsible to Jesus before anyone else. He is the one who determines your task, your decisions, your priorities. But on the other hand, it also means that he is the one who will sustain you. He will provide you with the strength and the wisdom and the guidance and the patience and all that you need. Another thing this tells us is that you, Matthew, stand in a long line of leaders given to the church. You continue that task that was begun by the very apostles and prophets some 2,000 years ago. You build on the work of evangelists down through the ages. You work alongside pastors, teachers, elders, serving all over the world. It's a noble task and absolutely central to God's plan for his church. A third implication is that you don't do this task all on your own. The phrase pastors and teachers equally applies to all the elders of the church. They're a bunch of great guys 
And they also have been called by God in the call of this congregation. And so you'll be working together to lead, teach and care for this church. This not only spreads the load, but it provides greater wisdom and greater encouragement and greater accountability. But a final thing to see, Matthew, is what's at the very heart of your calling. Because you see, the reason that Christ gave you to this church, Matthew, is so that you can run around like a madman, working your fingers to the bone, trying to keep everyone happy and doing everything that possibly needs to be done. Is that right? Of course not. The passage says Christ gave you to this church to equip his people for works of service. Matthew, you're not here to do all the work. Your role isn't to perform while the congregation looks on with applause and critique. Your role isn't to do every visit, run every ministry, give every teaching, care for every need. Your role isn't to do all the evangelism and praying and mentoring and training and planning and administering and cleaning. Of course, you'll do some of those things. In fact, probably more than average in view of your gifts and your experience and the fact that you've been set aside in a full-time role. But if you did that, did it all, well, that wouldn't only be impossible, impossible, but it would be wrong. For that's not God's design for a healthy ministry, nor for a healthy church. Your calling is not to self-righteously and people-pleasingly do everything, but rather to equip all of God's people to do the work. Your calling alongside of the other elders of this church is to teach, train, prepare, encourage and empower every single person to use their unique and necessary gifts to serve the Lord. For it's only when every member of the body plays its part that the body functions as it should. It's only when every member of the church plays their part that the church is healthy and well. But having considered what the Lord teaches Matthew in this passage, we also need to consider what he teaches the rest of us. And first of all, we continue on that very same point. You see, it's all well and good for Matthew to be called to equip God's people for works of service. But what if God's people don't want to be equipped? It sounds crazy, but far too often it's true. You see, there's a popular way of thinking in this world which says the church is something you attend, not something you're involved in. Some treat church like a sporting event where you turn up, sit in the stands while the action is down on the field. Some treat church like a concert where you buy your ticket and then wait to be entertained. Some treat church like a service organisation where you only go in order to have your own needs met. And as a result, my friends, there are far too many Christians who warm a pew on a Sunday but are unwilling to serve in any way. They listen to sermons, but never apply them to their lives. They're asked to do a task, but yet they always find a way to say no. They hear about training, but they never turn up. They like to comment on what the church should be doing, but never contribute themselves. But what about us here in, here in Alderston? 
Will we be like that? Or will we be eager to serve? Will we avoid all effort and involvement? Or will we realise that God has called all of us to serve him together? You know, it really comes down to whether we truly grasp the wonder of our salvation. If we truly know the fate from which we've been rescued, if we're deeply moved by the horror of the cross, if we marvel at the magnitude of God's love toward us, if we're truly thankful for all that we have received, my friends, then surely we will be compelled to live lives worthy of our calling. We'll be driven to consider the gifts and opportunities that the Lord has provided us. And we will just long for our leaders to be equipping us for works of service. And friends, this takes so many different forms. There are gifts of speaking and gifts of serving. These gifts for building up believers and for reaching out to the lost. These gifts that can be used in organised ministries and those that are used in everyday life. These gifts to be used in Sunday services, but many more that can be used at other times. You could serve in music or prayer or giving or hospitality, administration or teaching or visiting or helping the homeless. None of us can say we have no gifts and none of us can refuse to use them. But in the rest of our text, Paul shows us why this is all so important. For he says that when God ordained leaders, when God ordained leaders equipped his people for works of service, then three wonderful outcomes result. First of all, Verse 12, it says the body of Christ will be built up. When we work together for the Lord, then there will be development, improvement and growth. Growth in number as we seek every opportunity to share the gospel. And growth in faith as we all help each other to know Christ better and to live for him in all we do. But secondly, verse 13, it says we'll reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. When we spend more time serving together, serving each other, then we'll spend less time focusing on ourselves and quite frankly, less time being critical. We'll focus less on minor things that divide us and more on major things that unite us. We'll care less about the colour of the carpet and the length of the service, and we'll care more about the truth and the urgency of the gospel. <clears throat> but third, still in verse 13, we will become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. As the leaders of the church equip us for works of service, and we minister together so that the body is built up and we reach unity in the faith, then we will also mature. We'll no longer be blown around by every false teaching. We'll no longer be fixated on our own desires. We'll no longer bicker over trivial things. We'll no longer panic at every hurdle in life. But rather our faith will grow to be strong 
as we truly take up our cross and follow Christ. And what does all of this amount to? Well, my friends, what Paul's describing here in these verses is a healthy church. A healthy church driven by a healthy model of ministry. Not leaders doing all the work, but leaders equipping God's people for works of service so that the church is built up, reaches unity and becomes mature. So my friends, today marks a new chapter in the life and ministry of the Christian Reformed Church of Alderston. But I wonder what sort of chapter is it going to be? Is it your heartfelt desire for this congregation to be all that the Lord has designed it to be? Is it your heartfelt desire to see the lost being saved and the saved growing in faith and obedience? Is it your heartfelt desire for this to be a church that is marked by good and vibrant health? Well, then we must listen to God's word and follow his design. Perhaps with Matthew and Kathy's arrival, you're thinking, as Lavina may have suggested earlier, that it's time to step back from those extra things you've been doing. Well, I want to challenge you this morning instead to step up and to increase the ways you serve the Lord, doing your utmost to honour him in your life. Let us all use the gifts that God has provided to play our vital role in this body of Christ. And Matthew, I want to urge you to follow God's plan. You're called to lead this church in God's strength with your fellow elders by equipping God's people to serve. Make that your aim. Help every person to know their calling and to live a life worthy of that call. For as every part does its work, the body will be healthy and strong, and the church will bring glory to our God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Almighty God and loving Father, we are well aware that there are times when we just go through the motions, when we just see church as a place where we go and we forget your calling on our lives. Lord, we, we confess before you that there are times when, when we just don't, couldn't be bothered and when, when we're just more interested in all the other things in our lives and we see, start to see them as more important than you and your church and your mission. Lord, forgive us. But Lord, also convict us. Lord, help us to indeed seek deep in our own hearts to be a church where every person is involved according to their gifts, according to their opportunities, according to their situation in life. Lord, you have promised us that you have gifted every single one. And while some gifts may be more obvious, we know that none are non-existent. Lord, please bless this church in the time ahead. Lord, please bless Matthew and his fellow elders as they seek to equip your people for works of service. 
And Lord, as we do, we pray that this church would grow in faith and in, in obedience to you, Lord, and that this church would grow in number as every person takes their opportunity to spread the glorious good news of Jesus in whatever way they are able. And Lord, we pray that as that happens, that this church would be a healthy 